0: Hi Pastor John here. Welcome to our broadcast. We're glad you can join us. Today I have a question for you. Do we really see the gospel throughout the Old Testament? We hear that from time to time that it's everywhere in the Bible. Well today we're going to hear the story of a woman God uses to bring about a stunning victory for the Hebrews. And it's a very gory story. So what does that have to do with the gospel? Find the answers in Jael from Judges chapter 4 verses 7 through 24. Let's join the service. So we are comfortable with the sounds of life in our sanctuary, are we not? Amen. Amen. I want to give you a quick shelter update. Um, We took a meal down to the shelter last Tuesday night. Um, The shelter had a couple of reported cases of COVID, so we weren't allowed to go in. We had to drop it off, but we had a a lot of people involved. Uh, They dropped the food off here, and Kelly and Jeff Uh, took it down to the shelter around 5 30. This is an amazing ministry folks and we've got a lot of people involved in it. There's room for you if you want to help us. We'll be doing the shelter every other Tuesday evening. So uh, Diane will send the sign-up sheets out. If you want to contribute some, if you want to go down and serve, let us know. We'd be happy to have you. So next meal is August the 30th. I'd like you to turn to Judges chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 17 through 24. And you know, the, the reason we're in the Old Testament, um, and I've shared this with some of you before, uh, it, it's, it's kind of trendy right now to discount the Old Testament, but it's two-thirds of our Bible. And uh, somebody was, I was talking to somebody just a few weeks ago, pastor of another church, and he said, so you're doing the Old Testament. How's that being received? I said, I don't know. You need to ask some of our people. Not everybody's going to sleep during the sermons, so some folks are listening. But I said, you know, there's a, lot, there's a lot of meat there. And he said, so are you one of those guys that believes that Jesus is in every passage? Yes. And I said, yeah. I said, but maybe not in every passage. And he went, oh, it's really, it's really, because The gospel's in some others. Well, the gospel's not in the Old Testament. Oh, yes, it is. You just need to know where to look for it. So here's our premise for this morning the gospel is everywhere in the Old Testament, whether it's through Jesus Christ or through something that the passage reveals to us about our Father in heaven or His plan of redemption for His children, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. We're never going to understand the New Testament if we don't embrace the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is filled with shadows, portents of what is to be. Now, I love that because if we're reading the Old Testament with some knowledge, we will see what's coming with the Messiah. But I want you to hold on to this because the New Testament is filled with shadows and portents of what is to be. Because someday those of us who call on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are going to be up in glory. Standing in perfection with our Father for all eternity. And we're going to look back and go, Oh, we were so worried about pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. And what's really important is that we're here. (laughs) I think God has just enough sense of humor that he'll take you whenever you think you're going to go. So, The gospel is everywhere in the Old Testament. And we're going to see this today in the story of a woman named Jael. So let me give you the background. If you were here last week, you know some of this. Uh, Israel has once again fallen away from God, was under oppression from a king called Jabin and his commander, Sisera. The Jews got themselves in this situation. They cried out to God. God gave them Deborah. As a deliverer, she and Barak went up against Jabin and they scored this incredible victory. And our passage picks up right after that battle. It's a surprising addendum to the story of Deborah. So, the story of Deborah is not quite complete yet. So, there are two primary elements to the story of Jael we see the woman in Judges 4 17 through 20, and then we see the weapon in verses 21 through 24. So let's take a look at this this first element, the woman. The last we saw of Sisera, he was running for his life. Scared like a dog, running away from things. Trying to get away from Deborah and Barak. Then we see this encounter. And keep in mind, Sisera is running from a woman. And he's about to have another encounter with another woman. And if you remember from last week's passage, we had that curious verse... In the middle of the passage, it said in verse 11 Now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father in law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zanamim. And this is near Kadesh. So the Kenites, let me give you some background. We didn't talk about this last week, but the Kenites show up in Judges chapter 1. There's a familial relationship between them and Moses. Scripture's not really exact about what it is, but there is some sort of relationship, family relationship between the Kenites and Moses. And, and key to our story, uh, we need to understand this because the Kenite encampment is right in the path that Sisera takes to, to flee to his home. So here's what we're looking at. Here, I got three maps. Here's where the battle between Deborah and Sisera happens right at that little red mark down the lower left. Uh, and Jabin runs from the battle. He wants to get here. And Heber and the Kenites are here. They're right in the way. The Kenites move. Now, Now this is amazing because the Kenites moved to this area about 200 years prior to the events between Deborah and Barak and Sisera. And Deborah, long before Deborah became a judge... A little bit closer to Deborah's time, Heber separates from his clan. We don't know what happened. We don't know if there was disagreement or whatever. But he built this settlement right on the spot, directly in Sisera's path to safety. So look what happens, Judges 4.17. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, In the house of Heber the Kenite. So, Heber has been there in that encampment where Sisera runs into him long enough to establish some sort of peaceful relationship with King Jabin. It's not totally unusual. Jabin was terrorizing Israel, Heber was right in his path. Uh, he'd He'd want to have some sort of good relationships with him. But Heber is related to Moses. And the only thing we can assume is not wanting to upset the apple cart with Jabin, Heber probably hasn't talked much about his relationship with Moses. So, so Jabin would not know that Heber and Jael were related, even if it's distantly, to, to Moses. So look what happens. The text doesn't say that Jabin and Heber were friends or sympathizers with each other, but there's clearly... Some sort of an alliance there. And there was peace between them. Enough peace that Jabin had, had a certain level of trust in Heber, which means that Sisera would have had a certain level of trust in Heber as well. So we find this moment in Israel's history, once again turning around the presence of a woman. Verse 18, And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him... Now this is important because what we need to see is that Jael is directing things. She's not responding to things. She goes out to meet Cicera. Cicera doesn't come in making demands. And she says to him, Turn aside, my lord. Turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. Now, Jael either sees that the man is in a panic, or she's heard about what's happened in the battle and this stunning defeat. Either way, there's only one reason that he would show up all by himself in her little enclave there. He's running. He's trying to get away. So the scripture says, he turned aside to her into the tent and she covered him with a rug. So this guy's humiliated. Adding his humiliation, she hides him. She hides him under a rug, some kind of covering, we're not quite sure what it was. But he's trying to maintain some dignity. So in verse 19, he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. Now, the imagery here is very intentional on behalf of the author of the book of Judges. Sarah asked for water perhaps trying to get control of the situation and let her know that he's a man of authority, he's a man of power, so on and so forth. And Jael reacts swiftly and decisively. The actions cascade very quickly in this little scenario here. She opens a skin, but not a skin of water. She gives him milk. Now, we don't know why, but I think a picture's being painted here. So she gives milk to Cesarea and covers him, and it's almost as if Cicera is a little boy, isn't it? Like a little child, asking for a drink of water before he goes to bed. dale is totally in charge of the situation here, providing milk, providing comfort, and tucking the man in before he takes his nap. It's an incredible moment. But Sisera wants to remain in control. He wants, he wants her to let to know who he is. He still thinks he's in command. And he, verse 20, and he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here, say no. A lot going on here, a lot more than meets the eye. It would be a disgrace for Jael to have a man in her tent. Just finding someone other than her husband in the tent would be cause for Jael to be stoned. That's how the culture was. Now that's dangerous enough, but Jael's taking some other chances here because she just offered Heber hospitality. Now, you would think that would be the natural thing, but in this culture, it's the sole, nearly sacred duty of the husband, the head of the house. And it's not just hospitality that jail's offering him, maybe a little bit out of order, but she's taking on an incredible responsibility because now once he comes into her tent, she is responsible for his safety. That's kind of hard for us to understand, but this is, this is deeply hidden in the culture. It's a primary tenant and the value of the culture and it's the reason that we see from time to time in scriptures, husbands and fathers doing unimaginable things to protect guests in their house. It was a far greater disgrace and could end up being far more painful to allow a guest in your house some harm. So, JL's put it all on the line. Now, Cesara, he's oblivious. He doesn't seem to notice his only concern is whether or not he's saved. Perhaps if he had been thinking clearly, he would have been double-thinking Jael's motivation on bringing him into the tent. Why would this strange woman do this? But he's a terror-stricken man, and he's on the run. And, and the main idea that we're supposed to see here is this mighty, noble, terrorist warrior he has lost all his men, he's running for his life, and he shows up filthy and exhausted at the tent, of the wife of the enemy of his king. He doesn't even understand this. He's so self-consumed, he's oblivious to everything that's going on around him. And the great irony is that Caesarea actually is speaking the truth because figuratively speaking, there is no man in J.L.'s tent. There's just a scared little boy being tucked away after he's had his warm milk. But for now... What we should see here so far is Jael is a decisive woman. She's not afraid to go up against the enemy of God's people. Not afraid to do what needs to be done. And that leads us to our second primary element of Jael's story, which is the weapon. Verse 21. Things take take an ugly turn here. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Yikes. Now, Jael's family was nomadic. They lived in tents. They had a tendency to move around. Once Heber chose a spot to stop, uh, one of Jael's many responsibilities would be to put the tent up. She would be the one that would erect the tent. So, you know, we already know Heber's a man of influence, some kind of influence. There's probably a bunch of tents around there. They're probably a little village almost. But Jael's is the primary tent. And still, Jael would be familiar with the tools that it would take to set up the tent. See, she takes these familiar implements in her hands, a tent peg and a hammer. I want you to look at this image for a second. It looks fairly simple. A tent peg and a hammer. And this is what she does with them. Then the second half of verse 21. Then she went softly to him, and drove the tent peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. She kills the man. Oh, this is ugly. A brutal end to an enemy of God's people. Well, okay. But what about Deborah and Barak? I mean, that's where all this started, wasn't it? Barak's story is not over. Look at verse 22. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. Now, no doubt Barak, on hearing this news, thought he would find Sisera cowering in the corner of the tent. Oh, please don't hurt me. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with a tent peg through his temple, slain not by a noble warrior, not in battle, but in the tent of a woman. You see what just happened? Now, again, we've got to put the whole passage together. In verse 7, we heard God say to Barak through Deborah this, And I will draw out Sisera the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give them into your hand. So Barak says, "Here is he's going to get the victory. That prophecy's been fulfilled. He's got the victory. The army's been defeated. But it's not turning out the way that Barak thought. Sisera has been given into Barak's hand, but Jael has gained the victory over Sisera. Fulfilling the second prophecy that Deborah spoke over Barak. And remember, Barak refused to go unless Deborah said she would go with him. Judges 4.9, she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. We all thought it was Deborah, didn't we? Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. So the woman who gets credit over Barak for defeating Sisera is not Deborah, it's Jael. And that's just part of the battle. I mean, these are pretty stupendous events so far. But there's more, verse 23. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And verse 24, And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. So oddly, the story, the whole scenario of Deborah, Barak, Jabin, Sisera, Jael, ends with none of them, and this is intentional, it ends with God. God gaining the victory. Ultimately, the tale of of this war between Deborah and Jabin is a tale of the whole book of Judges. It's not about people. It's not even, not even about Israel, really. It's about God gaining victory over the forces of evil and over the darkness that threatens his people. It's a thread that runs through the entire Bible. And we need to pick up on this as we're reading the Old Testament because in the New Testament, God will gain the ultimate victory when he sacrifices his son. Amen? So there's the two primary elements of the story. The woman. Another woman, God, is placed in a key position... Stop and think about everything that had to happen for her to be there. It's really amazing, isn't it? I mean, he moves the family in 200 years prior to that moment. Some event occurred and made her husband move away from the clan to separate from him. And an unlikely relationship had to form between Heber and King Jabin. And somewhere along the line, the fact that his family was related to Moses just never seemed to rise to the surface everything had to conspire to place this woman in this tent at this precise moment at the moment that Caesarea was coming through is your life like that mine is you know if we really believe that God is sovereign then nothing is a coincidence. Nothing that happens, if God is truly sovereign over all things, there's no such thing as coincidence. And I could look at where I'm standing today and go back through every major event in my life and every minor event in my life and go, oh, all of that put me on the path that led me right here. I'm sure you have the same story. So what God's showing us in this little vignette about JL is that, He's in charge. He's in charge. He's arranged everything for this woman to be standing there when Cicera comes through the camp. And not only that, but he's taught her how to set up a tent so that she could pick up a tent peg and use a hammer with some dexterity. But in order to do that, she had to meet Heber and Miriam and... And which means that Heber had to be born. and I mean, you can just go back all the way to Adam if you want to. But God's in charge. So, so we see this very very clearly. Nothing really happens by coincidence. Do, do this later today. If, when you get the chance, you know, when you're having lunch, just sit down and discuss with whoever you're having lunch with. If you're not having lunch with anybody, talk to yourself. It's okay. And go back on... The things that led you into this sanctuary today, and see how far you go back. I I think it's a good exercise uh, because if if you're careful about this and are willing to acknowledge the sovereignty of God, you'll go down on your knees giving glory to God. (laughs) He put all of us in this room here today, didn't he? He put everybody at home in front of their TVs. How about that? So there's a woman. We got this weapon. It's nothing more than a tent peg. Probably formed from some vaguely chopped up piece of wood. It might have been made of metal at the time. They were working with metal at the time. But I kind of like wood for this context, don't you? I'll tell you why in just a second. Jail needed a hammer to drive the tent peg in. Probably made of a wooden handle and some thongs and leather straps to hold it all together. These... These are the tools of God's deliverance for his people. Nothing special. It's common hand tools. So we have some practical lessons here. Once again, we see a woman playing a key role, and then the men are in no way diminished. The men aren't threatened. Barrett's not devastated. At least we don't think he is. I mean, later on, he shows up in Hebrews 11 as a pillar of faith. They're not threatened unless they're the enemies of God's people. Then they're in big trouble. Because if they're the enemies of God's people, they're the enemies of God. So there's another lesson that we probably ought to be pretty choosy about where we decide to take a nap. We're checking Kelly out this afternoon, see if she's got a tent peg anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so we see Sarah... Making this huge mistake, this assumption that because J.L.'s husband has a relationship with Jabin, that J.L. is a safe haven for him. We should be careful to make assumptions about people, folks. We're standing here in this divided culture. and We have a tendency to draw lines in the sand and try and determine who's on one side and who's on the other. And I'll guarantee you, are watching guys on TV and hearing them on podcasts and watching them on YouTube. We don't know the slightest thing about these people. We don't know who they're aligned with. And if you keep your ear to the ground, you're going to find out they move. As the population moves, as the sentiment of the culture moves, they move. So we shouldn't be making assumptions about people that got Cicera killed. Okay, that's good. But our original theme was, is the gospel really everywhere in the Old Testament? Where is it in this passage? This just seems brutal and bloody. Go back to the scripture reading. Kelly Kelly read it earlier this morning. Particularly take a look at Genesis 3.15. Where God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his feet. This is called the Proto-Evangelion. It's a fancy theological term for the first proclamation of the gospel. In which God describes how he's going to defeat the enemy of his children once and for all, for all eternity. The, the, The woman's offspring will bruise The head of the offspring of the servant. And that, we know, we know that that's a look forward to Jesus Christ being nailed to the cross. And at that moment, for those people standing around Jesus Christ, it looked like a stunning defeat, but it turns out to be the ultimate victory of good over evil. So we just got another short preview of that in J.L.'s story. And we see the fulfillment of that story uh, of Genesis 3 in Matthew, Luke, and John. But John records it this way. Listen carefully. John 19, 16. So he delivered him over. Jesus being delivered over to be crucified. So they took Jesus. And he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull which in Aramaic is called Gogasa. and there they crucified him there, there on the hill of the skull, brothers and sisters, God uses his own son's body as a hammer and the cross as a tent peg The ram the sacrifice to end all sacrifices into the hill of the skull and destroy the ultimate enemy of God's people once and for all. It's incredibly graphic imagery. And that story that happens on that hill of the skull is just like the story of jl it is ultimately god's work by his hand for god's glory let's pray father we give you thanks that you keep on giving us hints you draw us pictures father create images that we might picture you and your sovereign authority over every event in eternity how you arrange things father We thank you that Paul was smart enough to write in Romans 15 that these things were written long ago to teach us. Father, we're aware that the people that were going through it didn't know, weren't fully aware of everything that was going All they knew is that God was moving. Oh, let us have that same trust. Let us have that same faith. That we might see your hand moving in our lives, preparing us, for that moment in eternity when we stand before you and because of the work your son did on the cross and no other reason you say enter into my grace we thank you for that cross we thank you for that ultimate tent peg father and we give you all praise and glory in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior amen amen thank you for joining us online today thank you Thank our special guests for being with us. It's been a blessing. Pastor John back here again. If you are blessed by the service, let me ask you to do us a favor. Would you click on the like button below that little thumbs up? If you're listening on Sermon Audio, perhaps you can comment or even share the sermon with someone else. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at WBFVA. We're on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. Let us know if you'd like us to pray for you. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make donations through our website at wbfva.org. Just click on giving. You'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. Either way, we would love to hear from you or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. We meet at 46 Winchester Street in downtown Warrington, Virginia at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.